Today I'll be reading passages from Proverbs. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. If you think of all the challenging commands in Scripture, among the most impossible is the one found in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Apparently, the person who wrote this didn't have to deal with COVID and heat waves, didn't have teenage kids, noisy neighbors, or out-of-touch parents, and most certainly didn't have to drive in the Vancouver rush hour. We all know that it's impossible to rejoice always, because every day we've got a thousand reasons to worry and to be unhappy. The weather's either too hot or too cold, too dry or too wet. Someone just took my parking space and I've got a suspicious rash on my scalp. But hang on a second. The person who wrote these words, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, was the Apostle Paul. And he wrote them while he was sitting on death row waiting for the executioner to come chop off his head. Joy, the most basic emotional orientation of the Christian life. And in Scripture, joy is not rooted in circumstances. It's possible to be joyful while reclining comfortably on my rocking chair or sitting in a cold, damp jail cell. This is another place that we find ourselves at odds with worldly wisdom. At one time, kings and queens, and, kings and queens employed people called jesters who could cheer them up. And today, the entertainment industry plays the same role. We pay people to make jokes, to tell stories, to perform drama, to sing songs. In fact, we pay these people so much that they are some of the wealthiest people in the world. And we call these people celebrities. And that means that their lives should be celebrated, a term we'd never use for a doctor who can save life or for a teacher who equips us for life. It's the people that we hope will give us a little shot of happiness that we call celebrities. And it's no secret that these celebrities live some of the least joyful lives in the world, so it's kind of ironic that we look to them for our joy. But the price that we're willing to pay for joy shows how much we lack it and how much value we place upon it. Eugene Peterson wrote these words, The enormous entertainment industry is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an overindulgent meal. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary, a few minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. And when we run out of money, the joy trickles away. We cannot make ourselves joyful. Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged. Now, joy is one of the ways of wisdom found in the book of Proverbs. Solomon said that a cheerful heart is a good medicine, 1722. On the other hand, a crushed spirit dries up the bones. He said that an anxious heart weighs a man down, 1225. He had already told his son to guard his heart because from the heart flow the springs of life, chapter 4, verse 20, 
23. The Hebrew wise people, without modern scientific data, came to conclusions similar to modern psychological or physiological studies. There's a link between psychological health and physical health. A cheerful heart truly is a good medicine. Now, Proverbs does not deny that circumstances can play a role in a person's happiness. A bad choice in marriage, for example, can affect someone's ability to be happy. Proverbs 27.15, a constant dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. (laughs) Now, ladies, if you find this offensive, you should know that the many references to the fool in Proverbs are always in masculine form, and the fool is more prominent than the, the quarrelsome wife. However, in Proverbs, it's never circumstances that have the final say in one's happiness. Proverbs 17.1, better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now, we've probably all seen that a person can have everything in life and yet be unhappy, while another have very little and be content. A cheerful heart is one of the treasures of life, and that's something that Proverbs says can be attained through the practice of wisdom. But where does the cheerful heart actually come from? Is it just a personality trait that some have and others don't? Is it genetic? Are some people just born happy? Proverbs doesn't actually tell us how to get a cheerful heart, but more presents it as something to which we should aspire and suggest three benefits of this cheerful heart. First, a cheerful heart or a happy heart offers life satisfaction regardless of the circumstances. Proverbs 15:15. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. When I lived in Hong Kong, our, our church was home to a lot of bankers, and I'd sometimes visit them in their bank offices, and I would see multiple screens with financial indices from around the world constantly in motion. And as I looked, their jobs seemed to me intense and really complicated, and often these friends would talk to me about their work stresses. I remember one morning going to catch the bus on my way to an early morning church leaders meeting in one of the bank boardrooms. And as I walked towards the bus, it was about 6 a.m., I passed a man on the street sweeping leaves. It was his job, probably a low-paying one. But he was singing happily at the top of his lungs. And when he saw me, he let out this smiling, Joe, son, good morning in Cantonese. And I couldn't help but compare him with the stressed out guys I was about to meet at the bank. It made me think about the value of a joyful heart, something that can't be purchased with a good salary. Most of the Proverbs express wisdom by placing two thoughts side by side. That's something we call parallelism. And sometimes these two thoughts are opposites and express wisdom by contrasting black and white. For example, Proverbs 15:18 reads, A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Other Proverbs present parallel thoughts that are alike, so the second builds on the comments of the first. This proverb seems to be doing a little of both. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, is the first line. The oppressed means poor or afflicted and refers to a really tough life. The same word described Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt. Job used it to describe his suffering, Job chapter 30, verse 16. Those who suffer affliction are often broken by it, and over time, suffering can make them bitter. An Old Testament example is the character Naomi. 
whose name actually means sweet. But after she lost her husband and her two sons, she told people to call her Mera, which means bitter. The second part of the proverb describes the cheerful heart. And the way the proverb is constructed suggests that the cheerful heart may actually be found in an oppressed person. Can you see the difference between the two? The person who's oppressed by circumstances lives in the world of if only. If only I had a little bit more money. If only I had a job where the boss isn't a tyrant. If only my family was a little better. That word for the oppressed person suggests a life that's marked by lack. And we all know from experience that a person can have all the money in the world and still live a life marked by lack. The cheerful person, on the other hand, even in oppression and lack, enjoys a continual feast. That person has a difficult time seeing lack because there's so many good things in life. In the Academy Award-winning film, Life is Beautiful, Guido is a cheerful Italian Jew living in a World War II concentration camp together with his five-year-old son. And throughout the film, he's trying to convince his son, it's all a game. The first one to get a 1,000 points is the winner. Another person who lived in a true concentration camp was Corrie Ten Boom, who suffered abuse and death at the, uh, the death of her sister. But throughout her life, she beamed with joy because she couldn't bring herself to hate her oppressors. We sear the cheerful heart in the Apostle Paul, feasting even while on death row because he believed it's better to depart and be with Jesus. The cheerful heart sees life as one big buffet line, every day as an opportunity to nibble away on some form of God's goodness. It doesn't deny pain, but it transforms that pain into something nourishing, something to feast on in this great gift of life. The cheerful heart is satisfied. Second benefit, a cheerful heart may lead to physical health. Proverbs 17.22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries dries up the bones. The ancient Hebrew word used for bones describes the deep parts of the person. Psalm 51 verse 8, sort of like when I say, I can feel it in my bones. Spiritual pain runs deep. The crushed spirit affects the entire person. Dr. Wei Jiang from Duke University tested 1,005 heart failure patients and tracked them for signs of depression. Dr. Jiang reported that patients with mild depression were at 44% greater risk of dying than those not experiencing depression, excluding other factors such as age, marital status, and original cause of the patient's heart failure. Now, I hope this doesn't make us more depressed about being depressed, but the cheerful heart is actually a good cure for illness. A similar proverb reads, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones, 1430. Look at the irony of this proverb. Envy says, You have what I want. In other words, envy comes from a sense of lack. I'm not rich enough, smart enough, beautiful enough, fast enough, thin enough, and so on. To have that mindset leads to illness. But to be at peace with who you are and what you have, the opposite of envy, actually works health into our bodies. A third benefit. A cheerful heart creates a nice face. Proverbs 15, verse 13. A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. The first clause reads literally in Hebrew, a happy heart does good for the face. 
Now, we've all heard that it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile, and it's an oft-repeated statistic in which the numbers vary. It takes 51 muscles to frown, 7 to smile, or 100 to frown and 10 to smile, or 41 to frown and 4 to smile. It's probably not even scientifically true, according to one of the Urban Legends websites. But the point of Proverbs, however, is not which one is the easiest. In fact, Proverbs doesn't suggest that we force either a smile or a frown, but that our faces will show what's happening on our, in the inside, on our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I don't find it very helpful to be told to smile. The heart doesn't follow the face. The face follows the heart. Anti-aging has become a booming industry. It's always seemed to me to be something like rejecting the law of gravity, no matter how much we oppose aging. Time stops not for anyone. But is there anything more delightful than an elderly face that's worn with lines of happiness and joy? The alternative is the second clause of this proverb, heartache that crushes the spirit. We all experience heartache at times in our lives. But the two lines in opposition suggest that this isn't referring to the occasional desert experience. Rather, it's referring to a way of life, a way of being. A person may live with a happy heart or a person may live with heartache. Both will inform the face in their own way. And so we see these three benefits of a cheerful heart, a nicer face, a higher degree of life satisfaction, and increased physical health. Who would not want this? Now, Proverbs doesn't teach us explicitly how to get this kind of heart, but part of it has to do with embracing the entire way of wisdom as it's outlined in this book. And besides that, these few scriptures we've already observed do offer some implicit instruction and lead me to to settle on one important quality, and that's the quality of thankfulness. Rather than bemoan what we don't have in our affliction and envy and what others have in their abundance, we can learn to say thanks. Are we happy with what God's given to us? The Bible continually tells us to remember, remember, remember. Gordon Smith, former academic dean at Regent College, encourages the regular practice of giving thanks. Even when we don't feel like it, we force ourselves to remember every day all the gifts God has given to us. And we can think of it in waves of thanksgiving. You begin by making a list of things that you're obviously thankful for. Uh, salvation through Christ, a family, a job, health, and you thank God for those things. It's the first wave. And then you probe more deeply, and you make yet another list of things you're thankful for. Freedom to worship, a conversation with a friend, the robin singing outside, and it's the second wave. And Smith encourages people to go through this three times so that we can thoroughly saturate our souls with thanksgiving and dispel the thoughts of lack and envy. The cheerful heart has a continual feast, constantly being nourished on the goodness of a generous God. It's customary for us to label people as pessimists or optimists and to assume that this is who they are because of genetics or life circumstances. I don't think Proverbs wants us to be locked into such a way of thinking. It does seem clear that we all, for whatever reason, for genetics or for life experience, tend toward one of those poles But Proverbs, in its wisdom, places before us this cheerful heart and is something that we can attain to by the grace of God and by reflecting upon the grace of God. 
If we found the secret of having this cheerful heart, then we can move on to a second part of instruction in Proverbs, and that is helping other people, ministering to other people, helping them to find this cheerful, sustaining heart. So what advice does Proverbs give us about lifting the spirits of others? There are two do instructions and one do not instruction. First, in Proverbs 15.30, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. You might think that this is a cheerful look that equates a smile, but that's not really what this proverb is suggesting. It actually literally reads in Hebrew, bright eyes bring joy to the heart. And it refers not to the mouth as a place which expresses joy, but to the eyes. Now, a person may smile just before taking out a knife to stab me, but it's more difficult to lie with their eyes. They're more tr- they are a tr- more true mirror of our souls than is our mouth. So we could say that this proverb is asking us to smile with our eyes. Do you know people whose eyes communicate warmth? Sometimes it's in conversation with others that our eyes communicate impatience as they dart around the room or continually check our watches. Sometimes they communicate anger as they smolder in obvious displeasure. And sometimes they communicate nothing at all as they stare blankly and unresponsively. In this Communication 101 instruction, Proverbs asks us to communicate warmth with our eyes. Maybe it's something we could practice together after the service today. Look at people as if they're important. That bright look may just lift their souls. Second, we can bring cheer to the hearts of others with something as simple as words. Proverbs 16.24 Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs has many, many instructions about the tongue. And basically it tells us to do two things with our mouths. First, keep them closed more often. And second, only open them for constructive purposes. Pleasant words taste sweet, but they're not only high in sugar content. They also have the power to work healing in the soul of another. 1225. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. The first part of this, of this is, the, is literally anxiety in the heart of a man depresses him. When our son trained for track, his coach would sometimes have him pull something heavy behind him, like a tire on a rope. And of course, the idea is that when he would let go of the tire, he would feel the difference and pick up his speed. How many people in your life are pulling a heavy load of anxiety behind them? Something as small as a kind word has the power to break that load and to help that person run more freely. Third, the do not. Do not sing to someone who is in pain. Proverbs twenty-five twenty. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. I remember doing an assignment on this verse in seminary. I could get the part about not taking away someone's garment on a cold day, something that would, of course, be cruel and irritating. But I couldn't quite get the second clause. What is wrong with pouring vinegar on soda? So I decided to try it at home. I put a little soda in a bowl and I poured some vinegar over it. And the chemical reaction was immediate and surprisingly violent. And I saw that those two things, vinegar and soda, are incompatible. So this proverb is telling us that singing to someone in pain is cruel and irritating, like taking someone's garment on a cold day. 
And the action of singing to someone in pain is as incompatible as vinegar is to soda. So don't sing to a heavy heart. And in that sense, we would say, don't use bumper sticker theology to make people feel better. It's good to remember Proverbs 14.10. Every heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. Respect the sadness of others is something we do not fully understand, and don't think that we can remove it lightly. Well, in conclusion, let me say those words again from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Joy comes from a decision, not a decision to be joyful, as the song Don't Worry, Be Happy suggests, but a decision to be in the Lord. And to again quote Eugene Peterson, joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It's a consequence. We can decide to live in the environment of a living God and not our own dying selves. We can decide to center ourselves in the God who generously gives and not in our own egos, which greedily grab. On the last night of his life, time of great sorrow when he stood facing the cross. When he wrestled in painful prayer in the garden, Jesus never lost that heart of joy. On that night, he said to his followers, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The writer of Hebrews said that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. It was a joy worth dying for. And it's a joy that he ushers us into through his resurrection. Right now, the Lord Jesus is perfectly performing his will in the world and in my life. There's absolutely nothing out of control. Pandemics, climate change, political rulers, my own life. There's absolutely nothing at all to worry about. Jesus now is is full of joy watching his beloved at this very moment. And because of that, I can rejoice in him now and always. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the gift that you have given us of this life and the many gifts that we've received in life, big and small, we give you thanks for, mostly for the fact of our creation that we are here. Thank you for all that we possess physically. And thank you for our recreation that you have made us new through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that now we live under this eternal reign where our joyful Lord Jesus is exercising a perfect will at this very moment. Give us the joy of living within the reign of our Lord Jesus. Help us to find this daily in our lives so that we can express in this world the joy of your very heart, In a world of great sadness and pain, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, We'll be coming up on the screen here a few uh, reflection questions and a few minutes for you to reflect on those. Take one, two, or three of those questions and just spend some time in silence or quietness and reflect together with the Lord, asking the Spirit to lead you in this time.